many times. It's sort of a, a chorus that I like to make sure we're all aware. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your health. It's not about your wealth. And it's not about your prosperity. Now, if you belong to a church that preaches that, when you return home, you should leave it. It is a false church. It is a false gospel. And Paul is pretty clear. The Word of God tells us in Galatians chapter 1, any man who preaches a false gospel, another gospel, a gospel different than the biblical gospel, what does is, what is Paul say in Galatians? Let that man, what? Be accursed. Okay? So, just want to make sure that we understand that. Philosophers, physicists, cosmologists, they, they like to ask this question. Why is there something rather than nothing? As a Christian, you know the answer to this question, right? Any, um, I would even say quasi-knowledgeable Christian will know the answer to this question. Why is there something rather than nothing? What do we say to the world? Because, because of God. Because God created. Why did God create? Because he was lonely and needed a friend. No! That's always wrong. You've heard this. Some of you have heard this in Sunday school. That's wrong. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need anything. He's totally happy and content in the, tri, in, in, in the, in the Trinity, in the Godhead. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. Right? He creates for His glory. For the glory of God. And He is communicating His glory to His people. You, His people, those of you who are converted, those of you who belong to Christ tonight, those of you who are born again, you have begun to taste the joy of God. And it will get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger forever. Right? It's for the glory of God. And as C.S. Lewis talks about, in some mysterious way, we are caught up into the glory of God. It's all His glory. It's not our glory. But in, in some wonderful way, we're caught up in it. As one theologian said, almost as if we're the fourth member of the Trinity. Beloved, this is a radically God-centered cosmos. I know the world doesn't get this. I know that much of what is called the modern church doesn't get this. Much of the modern church preaches in such a way and teaches in such a way that you kind of think it's really mostly all about you. It's not about you. I'm happy to tell you. It's not about you. Aren't you glad? Wouldn't you be bored if it was about you? I know I would. I'm 62 years old. I would be bored to tears if it was about me. I got to the end of me a long time ago. I'm not very interesting. I suspect you're not that interesting either. At least after 62 years. <laughs> You'll find out. If you don't know that for sure yet, you will find out. This is a God-centered cosmos. And most of mankind doesn't really like that. Mankind wants it to be about us. It's, uh, most men won't say that out loud. They won't even maybe crystallize that thought in their mind. But I challenge you with this thought. It's what all the blind ambition is about. 
It's what all the selfishness is about and all the complaining and all the whining and all the self-pity and all the anger. It's because the universe will not revolve around me. This is a common plight of mankind. Mankind wants the universe to be about him. And he wants the universe to satisfy him and give him all that he wants. But I'm going to make the case at least in part tonight, as you read the words of Jesus, it's unmistakable. It's not about you. It's not about your health, wealth, and prosperity. It's about God. It's about the glory of God. And we will see it as we get through the chapters in the coming, the, 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 the coming weeks here in, in John chapter 9. This is a radically God-centered cosmos. Just a couple of verses. Numbers 14.21 The Lord says, As I live, all the earth will be filled with My glory. Uh, Psalm 72.19 Blessed be His glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Isaiah 6.3 You all know this one. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And David says, not only is the earth full of His glory, but the whole cosmos is full of His glory. Psalm 19.1 The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Why is there something rather than nothing? Because Jesus Christ is an awesome Creator. That's why. Colossians 1.16 We were created by Him. And someone tell me, you have to know Colossians 1.16. If you don't know it, you must go home and you must learn Colossians 1.16. It was created by Jesus Christ and what? For Jesus Christ. Beloved, I'm giving you the good news. It's not about you. It's about Him. Praise God it's about Him. It is about Him. Can you imagine how boring eternity would be if it was about you? I think this is part of what hell is. I really do. I really do. It is about Jesus Christ. Everything is for His glory, including a man born blind who is begging in Jerusalem in the autumn of 29 A.D. He is about the glory of God as Jesus will tell us and as we will see in the coming weeks. So, just to remind you where we are in the context of John, we were in John chapter 8 for a long time. It was a long discourse between Jesus and the religious leaders who were, as we noted over and over again, unwilling to come to Him that they might have Life. Chronologically, we are six months from the cross. And some of you may remember, and if you have a pulse, how could you not remember what Jesus said as He closed out John 8? Somebody tell me what He said. What did Jesus say? You know, there's a lot of people in the world. I listen to some of these people on YouTube. And they're either ignorant or they are consciously lying. People will say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, if you actually read the Bible, again, with average comprehension skills, He claimed it many times in many different ways. But at the end of John 8, He's as clear as He can be. Someone tell me, what does He say in John 8, 58? Truly, truly, I say to you, what? Before Abraham was, 
I am. Okay, every Jew within earshot knew exactly what he was saying. I am, I am. That's what Jesus is saying. I am, I am. We know uh, God's name in the Old Testament that he told Moses, I am. Moses said, what shall I tell them? What is your name? Tell them I am has sent you. Jesus is claiming to be God. Every Jew knew it that heard it. And of course the religious leaders, what is their response? What do they do in verse 59? Anybody remember? They pick up stones. So this is where it is with, this is one reason I say we're not religious. This is what religion does. Okay? As opposed to biblical Christianity, which is always about relationship. Okay? It's always about relationship. I know this God. I love this God. I commune with this God. I talk to this God. I listen to this God. I walk with this God. I obey this God. It's always about relationship. Biblical Christianity is always the same. So verse 1, chapter 9, the Gospel of John. As Jesus passed by, He saw a man blind from birth. The thing I just want to say is very simple here. The thing I want to say about this is, okay, they're, they're trying to kill Jesus, right? The Pharisees are trying to kill Jesus. And yeah, He's running a universe, okay? And He's upholding a universe. He's got a few things going on. But this is what I love about the Lord. He notices this man. Oh, guess what? He notices you too. Some of you aren't sure if He does. He notices you every second of your life. He notices this blind man, right? It made me think of the cross. Jesus is dying for you and for me. And He notices the repentant thief, right? And He gives Him salvation. Your God can uphold two trillion galaxies and be intimately involved with you. I love this about God. Don't you ever think God doesn't notice what's going on in your life? Okay? Don't you ever think it. Don't you ever think that God is not paying attention. He is paying attention. Alright? I love this about Jesus. He notices the blind man. Verse 2 And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he should be born blind? Now, the uh, disciples noticed this guy too, but the blind man is more of a theological point of interest to them than he is a human being. And yes, this is the prevailing belief of the day. All personal affliction, illness, and malady was attributed to personal sin. Now, we understand from our Bibles, that all suffering has arisen from sin. If Adam and Eve had never sinned, there would be no blindness. There would be no suffering. But the point that's being made here and that the Bible makes repeatedly, you can't trace some specific suffering to some specific personal sin. This is false. This is a false dichotomy. You can't do this. God doesn't intend for us to do this. In fact, Jesus says, it doesn't have anything to do with that. Okay, granted, I want you to understand, all suffering does come from universal sin. And yes, there is some sin that can cause personal suffering, right? Don't we know this for, uh, to, be, to be true? For instance, drug abuse. Drug abuse can cause um, much harm, right? And much suffering. Um, venereal disease, sexually transmitted disease can cause much harm. 
uh, and many health problems, and even for unborn children. So we understand that sometimes personal sin can be, in, can be part of what is at stake here. But Jesus is saying, you guys are off the point, man. And we're going to see Him talk about that here in just a few minutes. It makes you wonder if these guys ever read the book of Job. One of the lessons from the book of Job is what? Job didn't know what was going on. It wasn't about the personal sin of Job, all the terrible suffering of Job. It didn't have anything to do. In fact, Job's friends came and said, it's because you've sinned. And Job says, no, it's not that. And God confirmed that it was not that. And yes, those of you who are paying attention, you're asking in your head, I hope, now wait a minute, if he's born blind, how could he sin? Right? Did any of you think of this question? Nobody thought of it. Okay. Do maybe. I think she thought of it. Yes, the first century Jews had a doctrine of prenatal sin. Okay. This is obviously foolishness, but this was where they were theologically at that time. So, yeah. Um, more important than understanding. Listen, I know I've been a pastor for a long time and, and I know how people want to parse it. People want to parse the providence of God. Jim, why has this happened? Listen, to me, this is all wasted time. Okay? This is all wasted time. What should we be doing instead of trying to parse the providence of God and understanding what He's doing in my circumstance. What should we be doing? We should be worshiping God and claiming Romans 8.28. We know it's true. Even if it's hard today, I know God is doing an awesome thing for my good. Right? We're either Christians of faith or we're not Christians. Now, we may be cultural Christians, we may be a church member somewhere, but if we don't live our lives by faith in a benevolent and awesome a God who's always doing a good thing, then we're not really Christians at all. Sometimes it is hard. I could tell you some sad stories just from my own life. Okay? It is hard. But I love what Josh said earlier. God is always God. And the promise we have from Him, He's always doing. Amen? Even if it's hard. Even if we don't understand it. I don't want you to ever forget that. I don't want you to ever forget it. So the disciples, they, they want to, you know, they want to parse this thing out. They want to understand it. But here's what we know from the Bible. Much of what God does is inscrutable. It is mysterious. It is unfathomable. It is beyond finding out. So where do we land? We always land back at Hebrews 11.6. What does Hebrews 11.6 say? Jim, it's hard today, man. What does Hebrews 11.6 say? I believe He is, and I believe He's good. That's my shorthand. That's my shorthand paraphrase. I believe He is, and I believe He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Okay? So these are the things that we preach to ourselves as Christians when it gets hard. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in 
Him. It's not about personal sin here. It's about sin in general. Okay? It's because of this, the, the universal fall of man in Adam and Eve. It's the corruption that is in the genome. Okay? It's just... Go read Romans 8. God talks about the corruption that sin has brought into the world. Okay? And I won't develop that any further. I like the message here. Eugene Peterson says, Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. Isn't that just like you? Maybe not you. I'll own it. I think a lot of times I'm asking the wrong question. Okay? Peterson says, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. Look instead to what God can do. Amen? This is, I would encourage you to do this, right? I tell you this all the time. You know, the, the unbeliever can only look at the problem. He can just look at the, the problem. That's all he can do. He can look at the problem. The Christian looks through it. We look through the problem. And we know that God has a promise for us. And that God will work all things for the good of those who love Him. Those called according to His purpose. So, sometimes... We simply need to offer up what's going on in our lives to God and be patient. How many of you are good at patience? Raise your hand. Okay, I have to put my hand down because I live with my wife. If I didn't live with my wife, I could, I could tell you a lie, but I live with my wife and she knows that I, am, I struggle in this area. God is working on me and I am a slow study. But... Can we just give it to God? Do we have to parse it? Do we have to whine about it? Do we have to complain about it? Aren't we supposed to be Christians who trust the Lord? You know, when it gets hard for you, that's when you're on the stage and everybody's watching and everybody's saying, what is this Christianity really all about? Well, Jim is really in a hard spot. Look at him wilt. Well, I stand there and weep and say, I love this God. I don't know what God is doing. But I love Him and I trust Him and I know He's working for my good. So, do you know Jesus? And will you trust Jesus like that? That's a good question for each one of us, I think. So often we're like this blind man. We don't understand what's going on. But as lovers of Jesus, we know that He can use it for His glory. It's why there's something rather than nothing. It's not about your health, wealth, and prosperity. It's about the glory of God. Some of you are not yet sold out to the glory of God. You still think it's pretty much all about you. Well, listen, I, I'm, I'm giving you some good news tonight, right? I'm going to encourage you with the good news. It's about Christ. And Jesus says, I give you my joy. Not some little teeny, you know, human joy. Oh, well, everything in my life's just perfect. You're in this little box and you have this little teeny joy. God, Jesus says, I give you my joy. I think it's John 14. I think he says it again in John 17. I'm giving you some good news. Now, whether you take it and live it and, and experience it, that's up to you. But I'm giving you some good news. You can have the joy of God in your life. It's up to you. I love what American preacher John MacArthur says about this blind man. 
He says, this man is a prepared vessel, a miracle waiting to happen. And I thought I would ask you, is that how you are? Are you just ready to be a miracle? Are you ready to magnify God? Whether it be in your disability, your suffering, your trial, your difficulty, or whether it be in a day of great blessing, will you make much of God? Whether you know you get up tomorrow, if it's if it's a day, a lean day or a fat day, will you will you make much of God? Will you, will you let the glory of God be seen in your life? Will you give testimony to the glory of God? Hey, it's not about you. I'm going to remind you several more times. It's not about you. It's about God. Make much of God. It's why you're here. You can make much of God in heaven far better, but He's left you here to do it now. He means for you to be used to share the Gospel that many would come to know Him. It made me think of Moses. You know, Do you remember the conversation with, with God and Moses? And Moses said, I'm slow of speech and my, my tongue is not good. And, and, and what does God say to him? Moses said, send somebody else. Don't send me because you know, I, I'm not really up for it. Right? And God says, Exodus chapter 4, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes man dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will be your mouth and I will teach you what to say. Moses was a prepared vessel to be, he was an imperfect vessel to be used to magnify the glory of God as God brought his people out of slavery. Beloved, it's all about God. It's about Jesus Christ. It's why there's something rather than nothing. It's not about you. This is good news. It is about God. This blind man is about God. It's about the glory of God. Some people hate this teaching. But let me tell you, how many of you know who Johnny Erickson Tata is. Okay. She's a famous American who broke her neck when she was 18 diving into a shallow lake. She's been a quadriplegic ever since. Now, here's someone who obviously could feel sorry for herself, but you know what, you know what her testimony is? She said, you know what gets me through the hard times? You know what does? That this was not some stupid, dumb accident. God is at work in my tragedy. God is at work. Beloved, this is good news. It's good news. Don't try to spare you know, God's reputation by saying He's not sovereign over these things. He is. Jesus says, this is about the glory of God. That's what this is about. This is the clear meaning of the text. Beloved, this is not, this is not bad news. This is good news. So, are you a prepared vessel? Are you willing... Are you willing to offer up your trial and your difficulty and your suffering and your disability so that Jesus' power may dis be displayed in you? Beloved, you're here. As compared to a billion eternities, you're here for about this long. Can you not honor God for that long? Okay? Can you not do it for that long? Hey, I'm 63 years old. Okay, 
I'm always the oldest guy in the room anymore, okay? So, you know, and that's a good thing sometimes. Some things it's not so good. But I'm telling you, some of you 20-somethings and 30-somethings, you're going to wake up, you're going to be 60-something, and you're going to go, Mama Mia, where did it go? What have I done with my life? I love you. Man, I want you to invest heavily in the kingdom of God because I know in the long run, you win. You win. You win. So, regarding physical disability and infirmary, anyone who reads their Bibles, they know that God does not always choose to heal. He's going to heal in this instance, but God does not always choose to do this. You remember the great text, the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he prayed three times for the thorn in the flesh to be removed, right? What does God say? No. My grace is sufficient for you. What does Paul say? This is one of my favorite things anybody in the Bible ever says. God says, no, I'm not going to answer your prayer your way Here's what I'll do. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul. But then what does Paul say? And I love this. What does Paul say? I think the women just studied it this, this week. What does Paul say? Therefore, I am well contented. It's not about Paul. It's about God being glorified in Paul. Paul says it's not about me. You say, well, Jim, Paul's a giant. Yeah, he was a giant. You can be too. <laughs> <laughs> in the kingdom of God. Right? You can be too. Some of you already are. You magnify God whatever comes. You magnify God. Whatever comes, you magnify God. You can be a giant too by being satisfied in who Paul, pardon me, who God is and what He is doing in your life. The disciples ask, why is this man born blind? Why? And what does Jesus say? That the work of God may be displayed in him. You say, Jim, why am I going through this problem right now? Well, if you're a Christian, so the works of God may be displayed in you. That's why. That's all the explanation I give you. It's all the explanation God gives us. God doesn't explain himself. We've talked about it many times. He's not trying to explain himself to anybody. He graciously reveals Himself. Verse 4, We must work the works of Him who sent Me as long as it's day. Night is coming when no man can work. Simply this. Go do the work, right? The, the, the imagery here is we, we work while it's day, while we have life. We work because night is coming, death is coming when we can do no work. Jesus is saying, get on with it. Do it. Do the work. He's about to do the work, right? Jesus is about to do the work. But it's a message for you and I. Get on with it. You know, many Christians I, I talked to over the years, and I've been doing this since I left, I left business in 1998. So ever since 98, I've been doing this. I've talked to a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians. And they say, well, you know, tomorrow, Jim, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll witness to that guy. Or tomorrow, I'll get more involved in the church. Or tomorrow, I'll, I'll, bring, a, I'll bring an offering. Or tomorrow, I'll do X. Or tomorrow, I'll do Y. Tomorrow, I'll do Z. Jesus is saying, do it now. Do it today. You may not have tomorrow, beloved. 
are today is who you are. That's who you are. It doesn't matter who you think you will be. What matters is who you are today. Jesus said, death is coming and you will not be able to work anymore. Work while you have day. Work while you have the light. And we have this beautiful text, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is what you've been created for and redeemed for. Which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is your job description. If you claim to be a Christian, this is your job description. Ephesians 2, chapter 10. Walking in the good works that God has prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. How will I know, Jim, if I'm walking in the good works? Well, here's how you do it. You get up every morning, you purposely delight in God, and you do what's in front of you by faith. These are the good works that God has prepared for you. I get up in the morning, right? I purposely delight in God. And then whatever's in my life, I do that. I do what's in front of me by faith. That's Ephesians 2.10. That is Ephesians 2.10. So, night is coming. You know, the Bible talks about human life. You know what it says. We are vapor. We are breeze. We are shadow. We are breath. We are grass. God means for you and me to have some sense of urgency about the things of God. Okay, I was your age once. I know how easy it is to be distracted with the world and career and family and you name it. There's there's a list of a hundred things. But what I want to say to you is, make much of God in all of that. Make much of God in all of that, and have some sense of urgency about who you are and what your job description is. And I lovingly say to you, don't just aimlessly drift through life driven by outward circumstance or stimulus. You decide who you are. You decide who you belong to. And you decide to obey Him. We used to give a book away. We don't give books away anymore because people don't read books anymore normally. They, they read them online. Um, so uh, there was a great book we gave. I guess it's the, the book we gave away most, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Uh, in chapter 2, he gives three resolutions that Jonathan Edwards, famous 18th century American theologian, wrote when he was in his 20s. I'm just going to give you three of them. Okay, listen to these. <laughs> Edward says, resolved to live with all my might while I I do live. This is a perfect sermon for 2018. This is a brand new year. So I give you this stuff free, man. This is all free. You can throw money if you want, but it's free. Okay? (laughs) I'm giving you free stuff. Isn't that a great... I will live with all my might. I exhort you. Do it in 2018. Edward says, resolved that I will will live so as I shall wish I had lived when I come to die. Isn't that an amazing resolve? Resolution, right? I'm going to live today like I know I wish I had lived on the day I die. What a great thought. Lastly, 
Resolve to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the next world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. Are you fighting for your joy in heaven? If you're fighting for your joy in heaven, it's going to be hard here sometimes. I'm just... Some of you have been Christians long enough, you understand. Are you fighting for the joy that awaits you in heaven? You know, Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, be rich toward God. Some of you, I'm just guessing, you're probably still thinking about being rich in the things of the world. Beloved, it's all burning up. You don't get to keep any of it. God says, be rich toward Me. Unfailing treasures in heaven. Okay, this is another good 2018 exhortation for all of us. Verse 5, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world, Jesus says. We talked a lot about Jesus being the light of the world. You may recall back in chapter 8, verse 12, so I won't go into detail here, but you may remember Jesus made a conditional promise. He said, He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness. So we get this definition, right? It's always the verb thing in the Gospel of John, right? It's not just believing facts. It's following God. You know, the devil believes the facts. It's not about believing facts. It's about following. Jesus says, He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Again, it's what true conversion is. Looks like, and it's what this healing is about. You know, John only picks about what seven—I don't know—seven or eight signs out of all the signs that you know. At the end of the book, John says, "If if we wrote them all down, the books, the the world could not contain all the books that would be written." But he picks them for a reason. There's blindness here. What's the what's the image for us? Jesus takes away what? Not only physical blindness, if it's His will, but He takes away what? Spiritual blindness. This is the picture, beloved. You've got to watch this man be converted in one chapter. He's just minding his own business. Bam! God shows up. It's how it happened to me. I don't know how it happened to you. That's how it happened to me. Right? God shows up. and Everything starts to change. Everything starts to change. We're going to watch that in the coming weeks. You remember 2 Corinthians 4.4? The, the small case G... The, the small case G, God of this world, has... has uh, I can't read my own writing. Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the glory of Christ who is in uh, the image of God. And God turns the light on. Those of you who are born again, you understand. It's what I say in my testimony. I use this man's words. We'll get over there in another week or so. He says, remember what he says? He says, wherefore I was blind, but what? Now I see. I think every true Christian understands what is being said there. So, verse 6. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and he made clay of spittle and he applied the clay to the eyes. If you read commentaries on this, you realize that there are 101 things people say, this is why, why did Jesus do it this way? And they'll say 100 different, 101 different reasons. And it's full of symbolism. Well, all of this is speculation. 
We don't know why Jesus did it this way. He did it a couple of times this way, but He almost did every miracle in a different kind of way. I guess it's so people wouldn't think it was some kind of formula or something. Of course, He could have simply said, see, by the power of His Word, He could have healed this man. But He heals this man, and He tells him to to do something. Verse 7, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so He went away and washed, and He came back, See, now, first thing I want you to understand, this is not a healing. What is this? This is creation. This is a man born blind. This is not a healing. Jesus is authenticating what He said in John 8.58, I am. When He gives a, blind, a man born blind, when He gives him sight. This is not a healing. This is, this is God creating sight where there was... No sight. So, and this sign, it's not just for the man. It's not just for the Jews standing there. It's for you and me. Again, Jesus is authenticating His words just a few moments earlier. And often what you see when Jesus heals, and it's just the same as when Jesus you know, gives physical sight or spiritual sight, He requires something of the man. He tells the man to go and wash. Okay, the pool of Siloam is in the southeast quarter of Jerusalem. This man has to, he has to book it down there. He has to go down there, right? This man has to have some faith here, right? It's always in the Gospel. Faith! It's always in the Gospel. You must believe. And what did we just hear Jesus say a few moments ago? You must follow It's not mental ascent. It's the kind of faith that changes your life. It's the kind of faith that motivates you to do what He says. So He sends this man. Isn't it interesting that the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent, I just thought that was interesting. Because that's what you and I are. We are sent into the world to share the good news. So, Miracles and changed lives always start with believing God and obeying God. And the text says, He came back seeing. I'm just going to give you a couple quick examples. Moses had a staff. God said, lift it up. The Red Sea was was parted. God told Joshua to have his army march around Jericho. The walls came down. God told Gideon to attack with 300 guys, outnumbered 450 to 1. God routed the Midianites. Jesus said, go fill the water pots with water. The water turned to wine. Jesus told the paralytic to arise, take up his mat and walk. Jesus healed him. Jesus said, bring me five loaves and two fish. And he fed fifteen to 20,000 people. Jesus said, roll away the stone from Lazarus' tomb. And he raised him out of the grave. Jesus tells the, the blind man to go wash his eyes and He gives him brand new eyes. What's the point? The point is, when you encounter God, He will always call you to something. You know? We don't become Christians by osmosis. It's not theoretical. It's not academic. God says, roll up your sleeves and walk with Me. That's biblical Christianity. And He requires something of this man. It's a beautiful picture, not only of the physical healing, but of the spiritual healing that Jesus offers to all who would repent and believe. This is all about Jesus. 
It's all about Him, man. This is why there's something rather than nothing. Jesus is going to heal a blind man. And you're going to be reading about it two centuries later. And you're going to be telling people about it. It's about the glory of God, beloved. It's always about the glory of God. So do you want to see and feel and know and experience the power of God in your life? Do what He says. I tell you this all, Christianity is real simple. It's really simple. I know a lot of denominations try to make it hard, but it's really simple. I come to Christ by faith and I follow Him. That's it. You're a Christian. If that's who you are, you are a Christian. I won't read verses 8-12. through 12. You heard Josh read them earlier. This is just kind of the neighbors don't recognize him. Of course, he's new. He's brand new, right? They, they don't recognize him. Some do, some don't. But he says, hey, it is me. And Jesus did it. And I don't know where he is. I just got back from, you know, the pool. So, Peter says about true believers, 1 Peter 2.9, we are called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. This story is not about the miraculous power of Jesus healing a single blind man. This account is about what Jesus offers to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Okay? Through the Gospel. Spiritual sight. Spiritual sight. So, some of you have not truly believed in Jesus. There is still a spiritual blindness in your life. Only Jesus Christ can give you new eyes. I invite you to come and talk with me about that. Some of you have only believed in an academic sense, but have not really given yourself away to Him. You are not obeying Him. There is still spiritual blindness in your life. I call you to repent. Some of you have believed and obeyed, but are distracted with the world just now. You are not clearly seeing and hearing God because of the sin in your life. You are not following Him. I lovingly call you to repent. Some of you have, been true, some of you have truly believed and are radically obeying. I exhort you, continue on. You know, it makes me think, and I'm done. Um, you remember the story, The Chariots of Fire and, and Eric Little. I go back to this on occasion. He was the great Olympic runner. What, what, is, what did Eric say when he ran? What? Anybody remember? When he ran, he felt the pleasure of God. It's what Christians feel. It's like this blind guy. Wherefore I was blind, now I see. We see. We see the most valuable and beautiful and compelling and desirable being in the cosmos and He's given Himself to us and we happily give ourselves back to Him. It's Christianity, beloved. It's Christianity in relation to this blind man begging near the temple in Jerusalem in, in the autumn of 29 A.D. And in relation to you and me in Milan, Italy in January 2018, Jesus says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. 
That's why there's something rather than nothing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Let's pray together. Thank you for this text. You are a great sovereign God. Forgive us when we have disparaging thoughts about you, limited thoughts, man centered thoughts, denominational thoughts. I pray, Father, that we would be guided by your word. And that we would see that you are a great king who does all his good pleasure every single day. A God who is saving a people for the glory of his name. A God who will rule and reign for a billion eternities. Lord God, thank you. We rejoice and give thanks that you notice us. Yes. You should have judged us, but you have noticed us. You have noticed our blindness, and you are offering sight to us. Lord God, we rejoice and give thanks. May we claim that sight, and may we use it for these few moments we have left on this planet to make much of Jesus. May everyone in our orbit see that Jesus is God. May they see that He is worthy of praise and glory and honor and dominion. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to start this new year. As Jonathan Edwards started his twenties, that we would live with all our godly might and make much of You. Help us, Father, for we are weak and easily distracted. Help us, we pray. Help us, we pray. Help us to continue to be encouraged as we work through the Gospel of John. Thank you for this beautiful book. Teach us, Father. Teach us, we pray. In the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Shall we sing a closing chorus or shall I just do a benediction? Let's stand together and I'll close with a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. God bless.